coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today is my co-host, Curtis. And today, we are officially getting to the recruiting mailbag that we promised you guys last week. Obviously, we wanted to cover the JT Daniels transfer bomb as timely as we could last week, which prompted us to move this show back just a couple of days. But we are getting to it today here on the show. And this is actually the very first of its kind on the Glory UGA podcast. We've answered myriad recruiting questions on mailbag episodes before. We've done recruiting episodes but we've never done an exclusively recruiting-specific mailbag episode before. So uh, this is new for us. But when we put the, the call for questions for the May mailbag out there, you guys sent in more recruiting-based questions than really ever before. So many, in fact, that we pretty quickly realized we had enough to do a full-on, standalone recruiting mailbag episode. And that's what we're doing today, and we are very excited to do that on the podcast here today. Really quickly though, before we get to the questions, got a couple things. We have a few shout outs to throw out there. A lot of you really helped us out over the past couple of weeks by by rating and reviewing our podcast on Apple Podcast. And we want to throw out uh, a big thank you to UGA Jet, New York Dog Fan, and uh, Gibberish, H-S-B-S-N-E-N-S-H-S-N-D, for being the most recent listeners to be kind enough to take the time and really write some nice reviews for the show on uh, Apple Podcasts. So we really, really do appreciate that, guys. At last check, we were up to 192 ratings on Apple Podcasts. We're trying to get to 200. That's our target number, and we're getting close. We're really close, actually. So if you like the show and haven't rated or reviewed it yet on Apple Podcasts, we would be very grateful if you could help us out there if you get a free minute or so. And if not, that's cool too. Uh, but if you get a free second, it'd be great. Uh, okay, I promise we are going to get to the recruiting questions in just a minute or two. But Curtis, I know you had some thoughts on Todd Munkin's contract details that were, were released on the heels of the JT Daniels transfer news last weekend. I'm sure most of you saw this, but just in case anyone out there might have missed it, Todd Munkin's overall compensation this year will reach $1.1 million. I think that was previously reported. Uh, What was not previously reported, what came out on Friday, was that he will get an additional $150,000, I guess, raise each year on his three-year deal, which will ultimately push his total compensation package to $1.4 million in 2022, which will be the last year of the deal. Uh, Some other elements of the contract... He will owe 20% of the total contract if he leaves for anything other than an NFL or FBS head coaching job. He will owe $400,000 if he terminates the contract before the end of the 2022 season um, to take an NFL offensive coordinator job. Not a head coaching job, but an NFL offensive coordinator job. Uh, And that number drops to $200,000 if he waits until the end of that same 2022 season. Uh, on top of that, he also gets an additional $850 a month car allowance, which, whew, that's uh, that's pretty nice. That's You can get a really nice car for $850 a month. Uh, you might be able to get a couple, actually. And he also gets $1,600 in uh, UGA equipment and gear, which is pretty standard with these things. So, Kurt, again, I know you had some thoughts on this. So uh, what was your reaction to seeing these official contract details for new offensive coordinator Todd Munkin? 
The one thing that really stood out to me was the stipulation of, about owing money unless it's a head job in the FPS or uh, NFL. To me, that really, I think that's something, when I read that, it kind of made sense why someone like JT Daniels and stuff want to come here. Because, you know, a lot of us talked about it where he was like in the same Brady situation where Brady would just go up and take a NFL OC job or, you know, something like that, use it as a stepping stone. But realistically, it makes me feel like he's here for at least two years, in my opinion, as of now, unless he gets a head head job. Because even in the NFL, most schools aren't going to pay that buyout a lot of the time. And if like another college program wants to offer money, then they're not going to outbid us unless we want him, him to go. Yeah, Kerr, I think you and I are on the same page when it comes to our takeaways from the uh, Todd Munkin contract details that were released over the weekend. Uh, I initially, when I, when I first saw the, the, the actual details, the first thing that popped into my mind was like, okay, I think we're going to be able to hold on to this guy for a couple of years. I don't think this is going to be a Joe Brady situation where he's one and done. The only way that would happen is if he leaves for an NFL or an FBS head coaching job. And if he does that, like Joe Brady, I think it will be because he had a level of success that made him attractive to the NFL or the FBS schools, whoever it might be. And if he has that level of success, it would make him attractive to be a head coach, whether it's the NFL or the Power Five. Then I think that means we probably just won the national championship or at least got very close to it. Because we've said it a couple of times throughout this offseason, multiple times. Our defense was championship caliber last year. That was certainly not the problem. We had as good of a defense as anyone in the country. Arguably, you can make the argument that it was the best defense in America. There were a couple of defenses that were up there, but ours was was certainly one that could that could make that argument. The issue, clearly, as we all know, very very clearly, was the offense. We were just inept offensively, entirely inept. It was a dumpster fire, a train wreck. However, you want to term that, it was terrible, and. I, I've said it before. I think if we can just get our offense this year to the level of where it's competent, then I think we have a chance to compete for a playoff spot, to potentially win the SEC, and who knows, maybe even finally win that elusive national title. That's a big if, obviously. But I I think we have some reason for optimism, some reason to believe that we can get there. We'll get into that more in the offseason as we get closer and closer to the season. But the fact remains, um, I don't think he's going to take a head coaching job anywhere or even be really a candidate for a head coaching job anywhere unless he has the kind of season that will raise the profile of our offense, raise the productivity of our offense to where when matched with our defense, which I don't think is going to take a step back this year. I've been very clear on that. I really don't think we're going to take a step back. In fact, I think we're probably going to be better defensively this year. I know that's crazy, but I think we will be. So if we can just add some offensive improvement to that, then I think we are a true national title contender. And then if that gets him uh, a job as a head coach in the NFL or at the Power 5 college level, then so be it. That's fine. I will have gotten my national championship and uh, we will have been in good shape. So I guess the bottom line for me is the way I look at this is there's two scenarios that are going to play out, in my opinion. Either he's going to be around next year because he's not going to pay the buyout. I mean, $400,000, if he terminates the contract before the end of 2022 to take anything other than a head coaching job, then he owes $400,000. I mean, that's that's more than a third of his total salary, his total compensation, in year one. So I don't see him leaving after this year unless he gets that head coach or NFL job, which only would happen, if I, in my opinion, if we are in the playoff and or win the national title. So I think either he'll be back or we're going to be in the playoff and, uh, and or win the national title. So either one I would take, I'd be happy with. 
But yeah, Kurt, is that kind of how you see it as well? That's what I thought. And like, especially like the, with the way Corona has affected things, I'm not sure what the market is truly going to be like in the off season. And, and that's the thing yeah. too. Like, I'm not sure if he's come, if he's like, here's my thing too. I don't think he would have agreed to a contract like that unless he was actually willing to say, stay a year to more than one year. Yeah, those are two really great points. Actually, I love that first point. You're exactly right. I mean, if you look at how the coronavirus and the lockdown in general has has affected university budgets, athletic department budgets, and the projections uh, for for budget shortfalls without fans in the stands and, and without potentially a full football season, hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully fans are in the stands and in full stadiums, hopefully. But I, I, obviously, if you look at the possibility that they're not going to be, there are going to be some shortfalls. There are going to be some very tough decisions on whether or not some universities, some athletic departments are going to be able to keep around and support and sustain all of their athletic programs. So when it comes to the decision of, okay, are we going to dole out $1.5 million to lure this offensive coordinator away from Georgia, or are we going to be able to fund the equestrian team or the wrestling team or whatever it might be, I think it's the big contracts for coaches that will potentially lose out, at least in the short term. So that's a great point. You really have to factor that in here. You're just not going to – there's a very good chance. You can never say never, but there's a very good chance you're not going to see the kind of mega contract offers for head coaches and especially coordinators over the next year or two as some of these athletic departments – really have to grapple with financial straits that they're probably going to be in due to this lockdown and, and everything that that follows along with it. So uh, that's another reason why he might be around for more than just a year uh, like, Joe, like Joe Brady was at LSU because we might not have to contend with other universities that are trying to prime away from us with higher contract offers. And I've also heard him say in interviews that he prefers the college game. He considers himself a college guy. It doesn't mean he won't take an NFL job. He's obviously already done that. He's been there and done that uh, with a couple of different teams. But he has made it clear in interviews that uh, I have gone back and read once we, once we hired him that he has always kind of considered himself a college guy even when he was in the NFL. He likes building relationships with young guys and helping uh, tutor those guys and helping them grow into young men and all of that. So uh, I think really when I saw that news, I felt maybe a sense of relief that it's not going to be just that one-year Joe Brady situation, which I would take. Again, I would take that if it means we win the national championship. But, but absent that, I think he will be around for at least a couple of years which will help him install this offense and hopefully get our offense to the level where we can not just compete, because we've always been competing. Even with poor offensive play last year, we were still in contention for the playoffs, and ultimately, if you get in the playoffs, you're in contention for the national title, but hopefully get us over that hump. That's what we've got to fix right now. We've got to get the offense where it needs to be. The defense is there. We know that. The defense is not going anywhere anytime soon with how we've been recruiting. We've just got to get the offense where it needs to be, and and we've got the players. I, I firmly believe that. We've just now got to meld the players with the scheme, and I think that he's going to be here for at least a couple of years and uh, help us make that possible. But uh, okay, enough about Todd Monk, and I, I think we're in good shape there. But let's go ahead and move into the recruiting mailbag. Uh, I told you guys that we've got a lot of questions, and we do, so let's go right ahead and dig right in. We're going to start with a couple of more general big picture questions and work our way down to the micro and questions about specific prospects. 
And the first question, uh, this is from Derek, and I really appreciate it, Derek. This is not your fault, man. It's a, it's a good question. It's a fair question. But this is also a question that we get just about every summer, uh, every, every year this time of year, for the past three or four years, really ba- basically since Kirby's been here. It's become kind of an annual summer rite of passage for us here on the Glory UGA podcast to answer this question. But we are more than happy to do it again. Uh, and Derek's question is, he, uh, it's nearly June and Georgia is still sitting outside the top 15 in this year's recruiting rankings. Should we be worried? Is the Kirby smart magic wearing off? Kurt, what do you think, man? Are, are you starting to, to shake in your boots here in June? Is it where? Um, I feel like a broken record every year with this question, but no. I mean, until the guy proves me wrong, I'm always going to put my faith in Kirby Smart. And especially right now, it's a lot different, too, when we can't have kids on campus that, you know, it's been technically like a dead period, per, per se, where they're not visiting. Like, your t- coaches are talking to them. But you can only do so much recruiting over the phone and things like that. Um, and Kirby's big thing is he locks these kids down when he gets them on campus. Um. That's where he's really, really good. Um, and even then, like, you're seeing him start to pick up as we get it. I mean, you just get uh, Chaz Chambliss, the offensive lineman, and you they're expecting, you know, one or two more commits the next week or two as we're looking for uh, Mondone to make an announcement soon, people like that. Like, yeah. I'm never going to doubt him in, until, like, he doesn't do it. But this guy's done it for the last decade when it comes to recruiting. So, and, yeah. and here's the thing, too. All right, people are like, oh, Tennessee's looking so good, you know top three class or wherever they're at with like 20 something commits, but like only like three or four in the top 100. Like if Kirby did that, I think he would look at that as a, a failure because he wants the best players out there. He doesn't take kids just to try to create buzz because if you're just trying to create buzz, you're, I think you're pretty much a failure. Yeah. I, I think that's, you mentioned Tennessee. I think that's maybe the impetus for a question like this, this year. Well, and, and look at their star rating. I mean, yeah, we've got like what, 10 commits or something like that yet. Our star, our, our average rating's a lot higher. And that's why our teams are better. Yeah, and right now we actually – commitment of Dylan Fairchild over the weekend, which we'll talk about later on. we got a question about that. We moved up actually inside the top 15. We're number 13 in 247 composite right now. Tennessee is sitting at number two, but here's the thing. They have 20 it's, – it, it's a numbers game right now for them. And that, that's why I rarely pay attention. If there's one thing that I would say take away from this conversation is do not pay attention to where teams are in the team rankings in June. Do not pay attention to it because it does not – matter now when we get to november and december that's when you should start really paying close attention but right now a lot in a typical season your most highly rated prospects they wait longer they drag the process out because they can because teams are going to hold spots for them right like a like a marius mims the number one number two depending on what service you look at up in the tackle in the country five-star prospect he could wait until signing day in february if he wants to and every team in the country that he's considering will hold a spot for him because he's that good. He's that good. But if you're a three-star prospect, you might not have that same luxury. If you wait until signing day in February and you say, hey, Georgia, I'm ready to commit now, we might say, well, you know what? We've got more highly rated prospects in the fold already, and it's it's too little too late. You waited too long, uh, and your spot's gone. So a lot of those those prospects, the lo- I don't want to say lower rated, but just the not as highly rated guys, I guess that's technically lower rated, they can typically, in a, in a usual season, commit earlier in the process because they have to lock up a spot. And we, honestly, under Kirby Smart, you can call us arrogant if you want, but let's be real. We are not going after the lower-rated targets. We get a couple three-stars here and there that, we, that we've evaluated and we feel strongly about. But I mean, in the, the low three-stars, it's like that saving mentality where I only look at four and five-stars, and this three-star has to be worth it for it to be for me. 
Yeah, he has to be the guy that you've evaluated very closely and that you think is underrated or undervalued in the recruiting rankings. And coaches can say they don't look at recruiting rankings, and they might not, but they they know who is highly rated and who is not. They they, they know that. Uh, and those the guys that we're after, let's just be real. Call it arrogant if you want. We are after the highest rated guys in the country. That is who we are after year in and year out at Kirby Smart, and we're landing more than our fair share of those guys. So by virtue of that, since we're the higher rated guys – our early recruiting ranking is not going to be as high as it ultimately would end up being in December in the early signing period and later in February in the late signing period because that is when a lot of the high guys commit. Now, quarterbacks to the commit a little bit earlier, like Brock Vandegrift, because they are kind of the centerpiece of the class that you want to build around. They go out and recruit guys like Brock Vandegrift has been doing since he decommitted from Oklahoma and committed here. He's been doing a great job of that. He's said openly, I'm not really a social media kind of guy, but I'm willing to do it because I want to build, to build this class and, and have an elite class, and he's doing a great job of that. But that's what's going on. If you look at Tennessee, they've got 14 three-star commitments. 14. Uh, I'm going to go back to last year's recruiting rankings. Kurt, let's see how many. Do we, we had six total. All right. We had six total when the whole class, class was said and done. We had four five-stars and 15 four-stars. Tennessee already right now with 24 commitments. Basically, unless they start billy-bobbing commitments and kicking and basically t- uh, saying, you know what, you need to move on, look somewhere else, which happens. And we've done that. I mean, all teams do that. They have with a 20, hard 25 uh, scholarship limit. With that cap, they have basically one spot left, and they got 14 three-stars right now. One five-star, nine four-stars, an average of 89.73 with their recruiting ranking or overall average, whereas we, even though we're sitting at number 13, that's only with nine commitments, and our overall average is 94.05, right? I'm looking at, I'm doing the math right now. Based on our overall average, we are third in the country right now behind Ohio State and just a hair behind Clemson. And, and, and that, to me, that number's only going to get better when I, I think in the next month or two, you'll see people like Amarius Mims and Mondome potentially pop for us. And that's yep. a pretty dang high range kids. Absolutely. I mean, we've we got a ton of, I mean, outside of maybe Vandergriff, our highest rated prospects are still out there. If you're talking about, you mentioned Mims, so you're talking about Donovan Edwards, James Williams, Grimes, all these guys are still out there. And we might not land every one of them, but trust me, we're going to land more than our fans. And some of our low guys are going to jump. People that are starting to focus more on football and they're getting more exposure. Like even Fairchild, he's going to pop. He's going to get some more uh, love and things like that. I mean, he's already, yeah, he's already top 135. And one more thing about like comparing us to Tennessee, and we talked about this a little bit on the show before. So I know everyone's hyped about Tennessee right now. They're currently ranked number two in the 247 composite rankings. Again, that's all about numbers. They have 24 commitments right now. Um, you mentioned the top 100 guys. Curtis, they have two top 100 prospects in 247 rankings right now. We have twice as many of, as that, and we only have nine commitments overall to their 24. So when not, when and not here's something, you know, I, we probably should have done before the show. We should have done this before the show. Um, but I would love to take the last three or four years, or even since Kirby's gotten here, and pull up the stats of where teams are ranked at this point in the time and uh, when the classes are all said and done to see the big difference. I wish I you know I don't know if there's any way to because I remember years ago when Rick was there and all of a sudden they were having a top recruiting class and oh my god why do we get rid of Mark Rick Kirby Smart right. can't do it and then they finish out like the top ten or something and I mean and well, yeah, I remember recent, like just a couple years ago Pruitt's first year so they're doing the same dang thing and landed outside the top ten I mean it, it, it's a it's yeah. a it's a pastime almost. Yeah, it, it has. It has. It's become a national pastime when it comes to recruiting. I think Florida last year was like the Tennessee of this year. Florida was never ranked as high as Tennessee's ranked this year in the recruiting rankings, but they were above us for a while uh, throughout, the, really throughout most of the summer. And that was the, that was the impetus for the the same question last year. Is like, 
oh my god, four is ahead of us. What's happening? Are they are they closing the gap? Are they catching up? Uh, what's happening? And uh, what ended up happening? Oh, that's right. We ended up with the number one recruiting class, and they end up um, just barely inside the top ten. So that I mean, that's just one anecdotal example of, of how that works out. Really, a year in and year out basis. And I'm sure the same thing will happen this year. And I can guarantee you this, guys. I can guarantee you this. Tennessee will not finish number two in the country in the final 247 composite rankings. And no. Either will UNC be one. They'll be good, but they're not going to be one. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I, Tennessee, I don't think – I'm going to go out on a limb right here. I say Tennessee will not be in the top five. When That's all, what I was actually just about to say the same thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, now things can change, and I guess they could – a lot of those three-star prospects, they could say, sorry, guys – Thanks, but no thanks. We're going to have to move on from you. And then that's the shady side of recruiting, but it does happen. But I mean, they've got so many of those guys. I don't know how many they're going to, how many of them they're going to actually do that with. I mean, they're basically full right now. And all these teams below them, uh, the Georgias, the LSUs, I mean, LSU right now has 12 commitments. We have nine. Notre Dame only has 10. Texas Bama only has. Bama doesn't have many. I mean, right, all the Bama houses are just slowly getting started. Alabama right now, where is Bama even in the rankings? Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma's down with seven commitments. Auburn's got nine just like us. I can't even – where the heck is Bama? I can't even find Bama in here. Alabama's way down there. Bama is at number 38 nationally right now with six commitments. And, again, Bama's not going to finish in the the, outside the top 20. Bama's not going to finish outside the top five. Bama's going to be the top – I was going to say, they're not going to finish outside the top ten even then. Yeah, there's just no way. So I would say Tennessee, I think you know, last year they finished right at number 10 national 247 composite. I would say somewhere between eight and ten. That somewhere around that range is where they're ultimately gonna finish. And they can they can bang their chest and crawl all day long right now in June. That's fine, but in June it really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, the big boys are gonna be coming and we're gonna get those big time recruits and we're gonna I mean we gotta let them have their participation trophy while they can. I mean that's all they get. I mean that's that's become their rite of passage is to get that is to find whatever little participation trophy they can get, whether it's champions of life, number two, number two in the recruiting rankings in on June 2nd, 2020, let's go, uh, whatever it works for them. That's fine. But that's, that's basically what their life has come to as as Tennessee fans and as, as a Tennessee football program. But I'm not worried about it. I know some people are, and that's okay. I'm not going to tell anyone how to feel, but if you just look at history, I, I'm a student of history. And uh, if you look at history, this has happened year in, year out in Kirby Smart every single summer. Without fail, we've been in the same position. We, like Seriously, we have gotten this question every single year, at least for the past three Sometimes years. Sometimes we get it two or three times a year. We do. We do. Honestly, yeah. I mean, there, I think last year we got, we got it like two or three different times. And we were like, oh, well, we've already answered it one time. So let's just not actually answer it and talk about it in this next recruiting mail back. So we might get it again later on this summer. But uh, I think, honestly, the way – things are going right now with the uh, coronavirus more and more the high level guys are committing earlier than they usually do uh, just because I mean I think it was over the weekend they also came out I think just after JT Daniels news and said that their NCAA is extending the recruiting dead period through the end of July so it'll be into August when teams will be in fall camp for prospects at the very earliest can start coming back on campus so I think uh, with all these coaches all they can do now is either zoom these guys or call them and these guys are getting blown up day in and day out, and I'm sure they're getting tired of it. And a lot of them, are, I think, are ending the process earlier, a lot of these big-time guys, earlier than they normally do because they're just tired of getting hit up for Zoom calls and phone calls and texts and DMs and all that stuff. So we'll see how that goes down the rest of the way, but I wouldn't be surprised to see some more of these big guys hit over the summer earlier than normally do. And maybe coming out of the summer, we'll be uh, higher up in the rankings than we normally are, at least uh, – uh, over the past couple of years with Kirby Smart at the helm. But, uh, okay, let's move on to the next question. Another big picture question here. 
Uh, and Kurt, you and I, uh, we're, we're kind of close to this question, considering where we come from. This question is from Tommy. I really like the question, Tommy. It's a good question. We've kind of alluded to this at times, but I'm glad we got uh, a, a more direct question that we can address here on the show. And Tommy says, I'm a prospect heading to Clemson. And he's talking about Barrett Carter Northland at high school, I assume. Uh, what is up with Georgia's continued struggles in the largest school district in the state of Georgia? Curtis, uh, you and I are both from Gwinnett County originally, went to high school in Gwinnett County. So we, uh, we have a pretty good feel for this question. So I'm going to let you take it away first here. Uh, first off, do you think, is there an issue or is this something that this just has become perception but it's not really reality? I mean, it is reality because we have trouble landing guys in Gwinnett County. Um, but I think a lot of it is the transplant mentality. I mean, people come to Gwinnett County for, for, for the longest time because they had good schools and things like that. So a lot of it weren't kids that grew up in this area. Even Barrett Carter, if you watch his interviews, he talked about not growing up in the state of Georgia. So as long as he plays close to his family where they can come and see him, it didn't really matter. So being in Clemson, uh, it wasn't a big deal for him because it was still close enough for his family to come see him. And he's not like a, uh, you know, born and bred Georgia guy where some of these South Georgia and people like that are. And another thing I want to touch on is you also look at the coaches. Coaches come from all over because they want to coach in Gwinnett County um, because a lot of it is, you know, the North Georgia football is a big thing, especially, you know, 7A or whatever the classifications are now that keep changing. Um, but that's, they think of it as big boy football where it's very competitive. You have uh, good resources, facilities, and things like that. So a lot of these coaches also aren't born and bred Georgia guys um, where you'll see some South Georgia coaches or, I mean, even small small towns, places like that where maybe these guys go back home and things like that. Like they're from the state. They grew up in the state. Like um, personally, I know uh, the coach for where I went to high school, he actually coached Tyler um, in high school and then became a head coach later. Um, he's a born and bred Tennessee fan. So yep. if you think you're going to get any help, say, exactly you know, talking about, where, yep. where, where they ask like, why aren't these coaches pushing these kids or Georgia? Well, they're not Georgia fans. Yep. My, and, and I will say, uh, and you're talking about my position coach, I believe in high school. Yeah, I'm not, and I'm not saying he pushes on the Tennessee or things like that, but he doesn't have that one that put, you know, puts Georgia forefront in these kids' minds either. Yeah. He's a, he's a position. He was my position coach. He's now a head coach in the County and a very successful head coach in the County. Love the guy. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he was a Tennessee fan, and he may know he, – he, like, he didn't hide that. Like, he – I remember, like, us joking back and forth. And it sometimes became more than joking. Like, it was like, hey, we're joking, but we're really not joking, just kind of trash-talking back and forth. Uh, but, uh, but he was definitely a Tennessee fan. Now, I will say I never experienced – and I was never good enough, obviously, to be recruited by anyone remotely in, in a Power 5-level team, nothing like that. But uh, I will say even the, the guys on our team that were, he ne I never witnessed nor heard about him – trying to push them anywhere, but some coaches do. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I, saying they're pushing them to their schools, but they're not, you know, a lot a of people, thing the too. big question is, well, why aren't these coaches helping us in this, in this county or things like that? Well, th they have no ties. Right. It, it's not, it's not so much that they're always like people say, well, this coach is pushing him towards this school. It's not really that, at least in my experience, my, well, my experience is they're not pushing them towards Georgia because if you are like in the South Georgia schools, those, most of those coaches are Georgia guys. And, and there's a little bit, even if it's so there's pressure uh, for those guys to go to Georgia because that's who their coaches love. Well, and the co those coaches too will reach out to Georgia at a, at an early stage, saying, "Hey, come check this guy out. Like I have connections with to to these guys. Come in and build an early relationship with them, which doesn't happen in Gwinnett either. Yeah, it, it just doesn't. I mean, I, go back to high, high school. So I had a Tennessee guy. There's a South Carolina guy. Actually, two South Carolina guys. Guys actually that were South Carolina fans. One that played at South Carolina. 
I'm trying to think who else were they? Uh, some of the smaller schools played like um, Furman and Presbyterian places like that. But there just wasn't in Gwinnett County. You're right. It's just the 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 takeaway here, and you you nailed it, Curtis. It's more of a transient part of the state. The med, and not just Gwinnett, but Metro Atlanta. And, and Gwinnett just happens to have, typically speaking, you're out the best talent in the Metro Atlanta area, right? And that Metro Atlanta area is just the most transient part of the state. Because let's be real, the people who are moving in from out of state, as you mentioned, that they're coming for jobs, right? They're coming for jobs in school districts, and those are typically where some of the best school districts are: There's Cobb County, Gwinnett County. Um, and also where a lot of the jobs are. Like if you or if you have if you have a, a big high paying job in, in Atlanta, but you don't want to live in downtown Atlanta, you want to live in the suburbs. Well, you live in Cobb or you live in Gwinnett, right? So a lot of those people are transplants. And so exactly like you said, I'm just kind of echoing what you said here. They don't have the built in love for the University of Georgia as you might in other parts of the state, whether it's like uh, South Georgia. Uh, some, some parts of North Georgia, you just don't have that built in in, in love for the home school. And, even, and you mentioned the coaches, and I'll say just the student body in general, right? If, if you think about some of the student bodies in, in Gwinnett County, I mean, guys, I mean, they're fans from all over the country. Whether it's yeah, you, you, if, you want, if you go to a school, you'll see a melting pot of uh, jerseys, T-shirts, jackets sure. being worn by all them. Like if you go to a small town school, all those, even the fam, like the, you know, in the community where they know you, they'll be like, are you going to Georgia? Are you going to be a Georgia boy? No, they don't have that in the community out here. Yeah. It's just, it's just not the same in, in Gwinnett. And I mean, think of, think of the Georgia biggest fans. school in Gwinnett that people think of in recruiting Grayson. That's, I mean, yeah. kids, kids move in to play there. They literally don't even grow up in the state of Georgia or even in Gwinnett their entire life. They move it from all over because they know that they're going to get a lot of exposure. And if those are the type of kids that are moving in to get exposure, they're more than likely not the type of kids that are going to have any specific ties because they've already shown they don't have ties leaving wherever they have been. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with what you said. Uh, there is, I, I think there, there is an issue. Like we don't recruit Gwinnett County as well as we do, as we do the rest of the state. We just don't. Now, I'm not saying we don't get guys from Gwinnett County. We, we've gotten guys from Gwinnett County. We just don't get nearly as many of them per capita, at least the high level guys that we do uh, in other parts of the state. I mean, Grayson's a great example. I mean, O.M. Papo, Morris, obviously, Wayne Morris, the offensive lineman. Uh, Kevin Harris, from what I understand there, is we kind of turn him away. Um, but there's a lot. I mean, the only guy we got from Grayson over the past however many years and they kind of been on their run was D'Angelo Gibbs, right? Is there anyone else you can really look think of? Look how that went. Yeah, I, absolutely. Now, unfortunately, that was not the one to get. But uh, and that's the only one I can really think of. Um, Archer has been really good at kind of that same area for a while. We missed out on Kyle Davis, Andrew Booth. From Andrew there. Booth. Yep. And we, I mean, have we gotten anyone from Archer? Uh, no. Any of the big time guys? I don't think we've gotten any of them. Right. I mean, and you want to, like, J- Jemias Williams, like he, or uh, he, he started Archer, went to Grayson. Right. Um, but we didn't get him. And that was kind of extenuating. And it actually worked out well because I mean, he's already transferred from South Carolina, but like we just haven't, he was a highly rated guy. And it's just another one that we didn't get from Gwinnett County. Uh, North Gwinnett, we didn't go back to uh, to the offensive lineman, uh, Mitch Hyatt. Remember him when he was with this high-level offensive lineman? And that was yep. real, real weird. And we didn't get him. I mean, we haven't gotten – I mean, who have we gotten from North Gwinnett? And they've been good for more who didn't even play here. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, exactly. So we haven't really gotten any of these high-level guys from the best schools in the, uh, the Gwinnett County area. And I, I do think that has been a, a bugaboo. I, and I know that – Buford is in the Gwinnett County area. Buford, if you guys aren't familiar with it, I mean, you guys know what Buford is, but it's a school. It's not in Gwinnett County School District, but still, it's in Gwinnett County. And we've gotten a couple of guys from Buford, 
but we haven't gotten a ton. Of, I mean, we got Isaac Nod, although he went, he ultimately went to IMG and we got him from there, but he was a Buford guy. So we've gotten a few guys, but not nearly as many as, uh, as I would honestly have liked to have gotten. And it's just tougher. You're right. Cause these guys don't have those built in ties, which is what make is supposed to make in-state recruiting easier than recruiting out of state because these guys are supposed to have built in ties. But when they come from out of state, they're essentially out of state prospects. Um, it's kind of like IMG, like IMG, like, they say if you if you get a guy from IMG, you say okay, well he's 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 listed in the two four seven rankings as a Florida recruit. But Curtis, are those guys really Florida recruits? Nolan Smith was not, not at all. Nolan Smith from the Savannah area, but he was classified as a Florida a state of Florida recruit because he went to IMG his last couple of years. But that's not where the kid grew up, and so it's kind of a, the same situation here in the Gwinnett County area, or not here in the Gwinnett County area, but in the state of Georgia in Gwinnett County. You have a lot of guys who come in from out of state and don't have those in-state ties, and uh, that just makes it a little bit more of an uphill battle than it does in other parts of the state of Georgia. So really good question. It's an important question. I think we need to try to figure out an answer to this, but uh, it has been kind of a bugaboo for us. If there has been a bugaboo to Kirby Smart, it's also been going back to the Mark Rick there. It's not just a, a recent thing. It's been going on for a while. Um, but I would like to figure out an answer to this because – there are some really high-level prospects in Gwinnett County, and we need to start getting a few more of those for sure. Uh, speaking of Gwinnett County prospects, we mentioned him just a second ago. Gary has a question about a linebacker from North Gwinnett, Barrett Carter. He says, I really wanted Barrett Carter. How big of a loss is that, especially considering we did not sign an inside linebacker last year? Kurt, I think this is a fair question. How big of a loss is Carter to going to Clemson? If you miss on Mondone, it's a, it's a huge loss. But if you get uh, Mondone, um, it's – not as big of as a loss, in my opinion. While I think he is the best linebacker, um, if you are able to get Mondone, then it's it's not a complete win. Yeah, I look. I like Barrett Carter. Uh, I really like Barrett Carter. I had him inside my top ten most wanted. I even at that time I felt he was training towards Clemson, but I was trying to be intellectually honest and say I really like this guy. And if we can somehow swing him our way, I'd really like to get him. I think he's a high-level inside linebacker. I think he's going to be a really good player for them at Clemson. I think he's going to stick. I'm sure we'll still recruit him, but I don't. it's tough to, to, to flip guys from Clemson because of their whole policy of once you commit to us, you can't even take visits and that kind of thing. And that's why uh, a guy like Corey Foreman decommitted, the number one prospect in the country, because he wanted to take visits. And Clemson said, well, you can't be committed to us if you want to take visits. And he said, okay, well, I'm decommitted. Um, so I, I, it's probably an uphill – definitely going to be an uphill battle to try to get back in the picture with him. But – uh, he's a really good player, and it's going to be a loss. And we, you're right. We did not sign inside linebacker last year. That's because we had a really big class the year before. So this, But this class needs to be a high-level linebacker class. And you're right. I, and we have a question about Mondin next year, Smell Mondin, inside linebacker uh, in Paulding. He, uh, is, he's number one on my in, personal inside linebacker board. Actually, I think he's, I have him at number two in my uh, top ten most wanted prospects list. I think he's a monster. Now – what and let's let's bring that qu- next question because it kind of relates to Barrett Carter. So the next question is from Zach. We really appreciate it, Zach. Uh, Zach's always been a great supporter. We really appreciate that, Zach. You're the man. Um, and he simply asks, "What are your thoughts on Smell Mondon?" And I don't I don't know if it's Mondon or Mondone. I haven't heard anyone actually say it. I've always said Mondon, but it might be Mondone. I don't know. But he uh, he's a really good player. How do you compare him to Barrett Carter? What's the is there any separation there? Are they similar? What's your take? Um, they're very similar. I think Carter may be a bit more athletic, but I think uh, Smale is definitely going to be uh, a stronger guy, in my opinion. I think he's a little bit bigger. He is bigger, and Carter's not a small guy. Uh, Mondin is bigger. 
I think Monin's really athletic. I think their athleticism is similar. I mean, I, think- I, I honestly don't think there's that big of a gap between the two guys either. I think they're really like 1A, 1B realistically. Yeah, I, I, right. you're right. I think in terms of athleticism, there's not a major gap. I would argue this. Uh, to me, it's almost like what you had athletic-wise when you had Popo versus N'Kobe Dean, where everyone was all in the Popo train, because uh, he was, but, but N'Kobe Dean was still sneakily right there. That's a really good comparison. I think, I think N'Kobe was probably uh, a little bit more equipped to come in and play right away. And they both played right away, but I thought N'Kobe played more actually true inside linebacker than, uh, than Popo did, or Papo, however you say his name. Uh, and Grayson, he played there at times. He also played outside linebacker, played different positions. Uh, and what I would say, and I've said this before, is I think Barrett Carter right now is a more polished linebacker. And if both guys were entering college right now, they were, they were both incoming true freshmen, I would say Barrett Carter is more equipped to come in and make an impact in year one because I think he just – that is his position in, in high school. He plays inside linebacker. That's what the guy does. He's more, much more technically sound and polished right now at this stage in his career – than Smell Monin is at linebacker. Smell Monin, if you guys have watched his tape, plays running back and he plays it extraordinarily well. Like he's a really good running back. He's just not there from the inside linebacker position right now. He plays that as well. He plays both ways for them, but uh, he's more of a, he's been more of a running back. And, and defensively, since you have to split time, it's hard to be as polished when that's not like your one true position. You're having to split time playing both ways and practice, and it, it's tougher to be great at one of those spots. Now, saying that. I would also argue that Mondin has a higher ceiling long-term than Carter. You mentioned Curtis. He's bigger than Carter. He has a bigger frame, has more room to even fill out. And I also think he's at least a little bit more explosive than what Carter is. So once he figures out how to play the linebacker position, I would equate him to a guy like Quay Walker in some degree. I think a a better version, a potentially better version than Quay Walker. I think he's potentially more athletic even than Quay. And I think Quay is extraordinarily athletic. I told you guys coming in that Chain Tindall was more equipped when, when Chain Tindall and Quay Walker both came in. I told you guys that in that recruiting class, it's the same concept. I thought Quay Walker had a higher ceiling from an athletic standpoint, but Chain Tindall was also really athletic and more polished and ready to contribute right away. And what happened year one, Chain Tindall was the guy coming in late in the season, getting some snaps, getting some reps, while Quay Walker really never saw the field on defense in any meaningful situation as a true freshman. We'll flip it to the second year when he has a year under his belt, a year to learn, a year to polish up his game and get more technically sound, then you see Quay Walker jump over Tyndall into the rotation. It doesn't mean Tyndall's not good. Tyndall's still really good. I think he'll probably have a chance to be in the rotation this year. But Walker just had a higher ceiling, and he got closer to reaching that ceiling in year two, which allowed him to jump over a guy like Shane Tyndall. And I kind of compare Carter and Mondin in, in, in a similar way. I think Carter could come in right now and play more in year one, but when it's all said and done, when their career's over, I think Monin has a chance. If he reaches his ceiling and works his tail off to get to that point and just progresses as an inside linebacker, I think ultimately he's going to end up being a better player and a, and a higher NFL draft. Now, will he get to that point? I don't know. That depends on how much he's willing to work. But I think he has the coaching that will allow him to do that. I think Glenn Schumann's done a really good job. We actually have a question about Glenn Schumann next uh, in, in terms of developing a lot of these guys like Monty Rice, Tay, Tay Crowder, all these guys, Quay Walker as well. Um, so if he comes in and is willing to do the work, which I think he is, from all accounts, is a really good dude, hardworking kind of guy, a grinder, then I think when it's all said and done, he'll be the better player. But, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and lie. Like, I wanted Barrett Carter. I wanted Carter and Mondin. Those are the two inside linebackers I wanted. If we would have gotten those two guys, I would have said we're the best inside linebacking class in the country. Now, there's another guy that's out there I'm, I'm really high on as well out of, out of Florida, Zav- uh, Zavion Sori. 
is uh, as an athlete, but he's 6'3", 240. I think he projects as an inside linebacker at the next level. He's number 64 nationally, 247 composite, but inside just the 247 rankings, he's number 12 nationally in their rankings. So he's another uh, really high guy right now, a uh, highly rated guy. Right now, all the crystal balls have him going to Alabama, but I know that we are recruiting him heavily. So if we can get in there with him and, and, and find a way to get his commitment to go along with a guy like Smale Mondin, then I feel really good about that. But uh, Mondin, I, I, he's supposed to be committing this week. Is that right, Kurt? Is that your understanding? Um, they said the first of June, so I would assume this week, but I don't. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing like I guess hard put down. It wasn't there, a specific date. It was first just of June. Yeah, it wasn't a hard date. Like it's happening on June the fourth or something. At least not that I know of. But um, there was about early June. He's got to kind of wants to get the process over with. Like I was mentioning a little bit earlier on in the show. Um, okay, let's move on here. Next question. We're sticking on the inside linebacker target. Or that question here for another minute or two. This question is from William, who asks Glenn Schumann. The question about just about Glenn Schumann, Kurt, has missed on every inside linebacker target last year and already missed on Barrett Carter this year after he was seen as a Georgia lock. This guy doesn't seem to be carrying his weight and knowing the emphasis Kirby puts on recruiting. Do we need to consider making a change at inside linebacker? Kurt, is there any credence to that thought? Um, absolutely not. I think that's a, I thoroughly disagree with that question. Uh, I mean, I thoroughly disagree with that sentiment last year. Yeah, we missed, but I think it was where it was really, wasn't a, we missed on everyone where if we don't get our top guy, we don't have to go with anything. Cause as you mentioned, the class before was so good. Barrett Carter as a, a dog lock, I think is definitely incorrect. Um, I, I, I don't think know where that that had, I've heard that before. I don't know where that perception came from. Yeah, I think that perception is completely wrong. I think that he may have been a lean and we had a good shot at getting him. But once again, like we said, him being transient, okay, playing out of state shows that he wasn't a lock. Um, it shows that we had to put in the work to try to get him and we didn't get him, unfortunate. Uh, but in no way, shape, or form do I think he was a lock. And I think that if anyone's going to go, Glenn Schumann is probably one of the last coaches that's going to go from this defense. I mean, he's Kirby Smart's guy, Kirby Smart. He's actually a good recruiter. I mean, just two years ago, getting the Kobe like that ridiculous class with Kobe Dean, Tresman Marshall, all those guys. Ryan, Ryan Davis, class. Um, Jane Walker. Yeah, and and not only to mention that, but the guy is at a heck of a coach. Um, you take Tay Crowder from running back to to actually getting the guy drafted. I think Monty Rice has become a very very good inside linebacker. Um, he coached up Roquan. Yeah, Roquan had all this athletic ability, but he got coached up like crazy and became a stud, butt kiss award winner. Um, the jump I mean, Quay the guy's a heck of a coach. You're seeing Quay Walker take big steps forward. Uh, so he has done a good job of developing the players that he gets. So I think that sentiment, I, I just thoroughly disagree with it. I think that um, – and like we mentioned, getting Smell is not like he's totally whiffing on everyone in this class either. I mean, you're not going to get every single person, especially if they're not a, like a, a per se dog lock. You're not going to – I mean, it's going to happen. I mean, Kirby's missed on people, but you just can't miss on everyone, and I don't think that's who Glenn Schumann is. Like, I think he's going to get his guy in Smell Munden, um, personally, in my opinion. And that's and I think that – I mean, and also, since Glenn Schumann's gotten here, if you talk to recruits, all they talk about is how good of a recruiter he is too. So I don't know where that sentiment is coming from. Oh, I, I, I don't buy it at all. I will say this. If, if we completely whiff on all the big-time guys in the linebacker this year, then, okay, maybe I'll revisit this. But I think last year, you're, this question, and, and I appreciate the question. I totally respect where you're coming from. But I think it kind of 
lacks context, not kind of. I think it totally ignores context here. And you mentioned it, Curtis. Let's think about the two classes preceding last year's class at Inside Linebacker. Uh, we got, what was it, the 2018 class, right? You get Channing Tindall and was it 2018? I think it was 2018. Right? You get Channing Tindall and Quay Walker, right? Two, I believe, top 100 guys. I remember, I'm going to go check and just make sure here. Uh, Quay Walker, number 31 nationally. Uh, and then you got Shane Tindall, number 103 nationally. So essentially two top 100 prospects in 2018. And you follow that up with another monster class at, at inside linebacker in 2019. So right there, if you look at, the, which is N'Kobe Dean, who was number nine, a five-star prospect, number 19 overall nationally. Ryan Davis, top 100 guy, eight number 89 nationally from the state of Florida. Tresman Marshall, just outside the top 100 and number 122 nationally. So that's five inside high-level inside linebacker prospects. None of them ranked outside of number 122 in, in two combined years. So, Kurt, you think it might have been a little tough to, to get a high-level inside linebacker in 2020 when you got those five guys in the two years preceding you? Yeah, especially when there's no, there's no chance or immediate playing time whatsoever. Right, there's there's no class separation. That's not even talking about like the guys like Monty Rice who are already on the roster and already playing. It's going to be very, very tough because, like, look, we play with two inside linebackers uh, at a time. Now, we have a rotation. We use our rotation as four guys, right? Sometimes it's like two years ago, it was like three. Um, but last year, we, got, we had four guys in that rotation. So, yeah, four guys can play. But, I mean, are you going to be in that rotation? Are you going to start? How many snaps are you going to get? Are you going to be the end of that rotation? You're only getting a couple snaps a game. Like, how, where do you fit in? doesn't matter how good you are, how good you think you are, because we've already got some really high-level guys. The path to playing time was just really, really tough when there's no class separation. So we didn't need an inside linebacker. First off, we did not need an inside linebacker in 2020. We are stacked at that position right now. Now, some of the transfer will have some needs. But right now, we have no need. At least in 2020, we had no need for an inside linebacker in that class. So when that's the case, you are able to swing for the fences, right? Yeah, especially like when you had bigger needs at other positions where, like you said, they focus on them and swung for the fence. And if you don't get it, okay, you have next year where it's still a pretty deep class at that position. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like baseball. Sometimes when you swing for the fences, sometimes you connect, you hit a home run, you get a guy that you that that you didn't know you were going to get. But a lot of times you're, you're going to miss too, right? When you swing for the fences, it's hit or miss. You hit some and you miss some. And when you hit, you hit a home run. And it makes, it all, it makes all the strikeouts worth it because you hit a home run that could be a game changer, right? That can win the game, can change the game. That's what swinging for the fences is. And last year, that's what we were able to do. The sheer, and I've said this before, I'll say it again though. The sheer fact that we got as close as we did to landing Noah Sewell out of Utah, to me, that says all I need to know about Glenn Schumann's recruiting abilities. That dude was a legacy recruit to Oregon, where his brother is still on the team, and he's uh, uh, a Samoan. And, and the reason I bring that up is because Samoan families are extraordinarily tight-knit. Like, family is a huge thing for them, right? So the idea that we got as close as we did, because there was a time where he even admitted, like, there was a time where we might have actually led when he, when he made his official visit down here last year. The fact that we got even that close – with all the factors working against us, and the fact that he's also from the West Coast out in Utah, to me that says Glenn Schumann is an incredible recruiter. I, I, I just did that totally differently. And the other guy that we swung for the fences for was, was Justin Flo from California. And we, we were in it with him, too. The, again, the fact that we were in it for such a highly ranked inside linebacker from the state of California when we had all of those guys from the 2018 and 2019 classes that were at the inside linebacker position, I mean, to me – Again, that just is indicative of how good of a recruiter 
that Glenn Schumann is that he had us even in position to potentially land some of those guys given the context, given the circumstances around that situation. So uh, I, I appreciate the question. I totally respect where you're coming from. I just, in this particular case, don't happen to agree with that sentiment. Okay, that, let's go ahead and move on to our next question here. This is from Paul. If you guys missed it, I'm sure, again, most of you saw this, but in case you missed it, on the heels of the JT Daniel commitment, which had most of us in the Bulldog Nation on a high, I think for some reason there's some people who are not that excited about landing JT Daniels, former five-star quarterback, but most people are excited about that. But then we got some more good news over the weekend when offensive lineman Dylan Fairchild ends up committing. And Paul asks, how excited should we be about the Dylan Fairchild commitment? There seems to be a pretty big discrepancy between the different recruiting services. So Curtis, as a, as a Georgia guy, how excited are you about landing Dylan Fairchild? I'm very excited. I think this guy's very raw, but he's only going to get better. Um, to me, he has the uh, the I think the wrestling background is what has me most excited mm-hmm. about him. I mean, the guy's already what like six four, six five, about two ninety five. So he's already a big yeah. bodied guy, but he's very nimble. Um, if you watch him, he's just a straight mauler. The way he goes to the whistle, um, and I think he's only going to get better uh, the more he focuses just on football. But I, I like the wrestling background because everything it instills in him, the sense of discipline, keeping your weight in a certain place, uh, learning leverages and things like that. So I think that once he focuses fully on football, it's only going to translate to help him even more. And I think that this guy is going to be um, – he's not a guy either that's going to come in expecting to start right away. So he's, I think, comfortable waiting his turn. And sometimes that can be very valuable coming off the bench and having experience and things like that. And I just – I think that he's, he's going to be a big piece for us moving forward. I totally agree. I'm very excited about Dylan Fairchild, and I know he's not a Marius Mims. He's not that kind of prospect, but I am extraordinarily high on what this guy can do for our program and our offensive line. I know he was a guy that was mentioned as prominently early on in his recruiting cycle, but he's certainly come on over the past couple of months, really since this coronavirus deal has hit. And going back and watching his tape, you mentioned it, Curtis. I love the fact that he has a wrestling background. I love it. Not only a wrestling background, this guy is like a championship level wrestler. I think he went undefeated in his junior season. Yeah, I and think he's not he did he's actually like 46 and 0 or something. Yeah, and, and he's coming back. All these guys want to be early enrollees, but he's actually not gonna enroll early next year. He's gonna do his I guess compete in his senior season of wrestling because he wants to go back to back years undefeated. This guy's a legit wrestler, man. And he's so he's from West Forsyth High School. And I and the reason I love the wrestling background, especially a guy that's as good as a wrestler as he is. It is just the the qualities that wrestling breeds in, in a young man. I mean, it, it gives you the, the flexibility, the strength, the toughness, the quick reflexes that, that will allow you to be, especially if you have the size, the heavyweight size like that, I mean, pushing 300 pounds at six foot five, gives you all of that that you need, those qualities to be a standout offensive lineman at the next level. He's got really good reactive quickness. You can watch his tape. I mean, he, he's got, he plays with a nastiness, which is, again, kind of indicative of a guy that's got a wrestling background. I love the guy. He bends extraordinarily well, which is a really, really important quality in an offensive lineman. Has great flexibility, very tough, strong. Uh, and I, I think he's going to come in, and I think he has a chance to – I know we got some big-time prospects on the offensive line, but I think he has a chance to come in right away and compete for some playing time. I'm not going to go out on him yet and say he's going to like start as a freshman or anything like that, but I certainly think he's going to compete because I think he's going to be – from a physical standpoint, I think he has the athleticism plus the strength, plus the mindset, the work ethic to come in and seriously compete for some playing time early on in his career. There might be some spots open as well. So I think we should all be very excited about him. 
No, it's not a Marius Mims. We all want him. And I, I, I feel still pretty good about where we are with him. But Fairchild is a, a really high-level guy. And, and, and the question, I think, it was from Paul. Yeah, Paul uh, made a really good point. He's ranked number 135 nationally in the overall 247 composite, which, as we always say, is, a, um, is an average of all the major recruiting services out there with rivals and 247's individual rankings and ESPN as well. I think those are the three big ones really now. Scout, I don't even, don't even think Scout does rankings anymore. But there's a huge discrepancy between where 247 has them in their individual rankings and where rivals has them. 247 has them number 40 nationally, inside the top 50, whereas rivals has them unranked, I think as a three-star. I know he was unranked in the rivals' rankings, which I think is ridiculous. Like, and I know teams were, are uh, these rank these ratings guys were not able to get out and go watch teams in in spring practice and all that kind of stuff and camps didn't take place. I get that, so it's been harder to rank guys right now. I understand that, but not rank if you just put on this tape one time. That's ridiculous. That is absolutely absurd. I, I think two four seven. Honestly, and I, and I really I don't care about either one. I mean, I don't subscribe to either one over the other. I think they both do a good job. Um, typically speaking, I like the 247 composite because it's an average of everything. But I think 247 has got it much closer to accurate here. I think I think he's a top 50 level prospect nationally. I, I really do. And I, I know it's easy to say that because he's committed to us. But I think if you watch the guy play, you'll see what I'm talking about. I think he's a very high level prospect that has a chance to come in and compete right away for playing time. All right, next up, we got a question from Tracy. A very quick, easy question, Kurt. Tracy asks, who is our next commitment to pop? So, we're all waiting, Kurt. We want to move up the rankings here, this team rankings. So who's going to be that next guy? I have two guys I'm thinking. Um, I mean, we've already mentioned Smell multiple times that they were looking at him for the beginning of uh, June. So, I mean, I think he's definitely high on that list of potential people to pop. And I'm also looking at Brock Bowers, out the yeah. tight end out of California, just because um, this whole recruiting cycle, we've kind of really focused on two tight ends, him and the Montevello, oh, or however you want to say it. Yeah. Um, who just recently committed to Oregon. So, and um, I know he was heavily favored, like we were heavily favored in his. And to me, I'm not taking it as a loss. I'm more taking it of we zeroed in on our guy. I believe Bowers is definitely the guy we zeroed in on. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him go sometime soon because I don't think Mont- Montevello, however you say it, would have committed at this point in time if he already knew the spot wasn't there. Yeah, and Manavello is a really good player. He's just not Brock Bowers. I mean, in my in my, my uh, top ten most wanted, I had Brock Bowers. I think in just outside the top five, I think he was at number six. I'm very very high on him. I think he's a new age tight end, uh, an absolute matchup problem. I mean, you can match him with a guy like Darnell Washington. I think we have the makings of a nasty tight end duo. I know everyone wanted Charlie Warner and Isaac Nodd to be that, and they never really were. I think Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers, if we're able to land him, can be that. I really do, especially with a new a an offensive coordinator. I think has the ability to actually maximize the skill sets of these guys and utilize them as they need to be utilized. I'm very very anxious to see what that could look like. And Brock Bowers is the guy that I had uh, in in my mind as the guy that I will look at. Mondin certainly as well. Early June is it was what is what we heard. That can always be pushed back. That's kind of a fluid thing. So we don't know uh, when and if that's going to happen. But I, I still feel that he's going to pop sometime over the summer. But I feel the same about Brock Bowers. Honestly, I have heard that he might or might not already be committed to us, uh, just not publicly. We'll that's see. That's why I made that comment because yeah. I, I know Montevallo or whatever was very high on us, and I don't think he would have taken the time to commit if the spot if there wasn't still a spot that 
was up. Unless to we said, hey, we've got somebody else. We only have one spot and it's already filled. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because, yeah. um, I mean, and- at this point in time, why, why commit this early if you don't truly have to or if you're not trying to get out of the way, which it didn't seem like he was just trying right. to get the recruiting process over. Right. And I normally hate, like, even I never try to tease silent commitments or anything like that because I hate that idea because, like, to me, like, are you really committed if you're not, if you haven't gone public yet? I guess technically, if you've told the coaches you're coming, I guess you're committed, but like, why not go public at that point? Sometimes the coaches ask you to hold off, like, like Tennessee, right? Like Tennessee, let, let's not be real. When they had that run a couple of weeks ago of like a couple of big time prospects in a row, like each and every day, that was orchestrated clearly. So coaches do that. Like they might say, okay, hold off, hold off. Like we want to make a, ba- we want to make a big bang here and make a splash or whatever. So that happens. Um, but I, I have on decent authority that he might or might not already be committed to our coaches, at least silently. And, and, and but the reason I don't like silent commitments is because like, it's very easy for that to change. Like, but you can still change it even if you've gone public, but it's just a little bit more difficult. It's not, you, it's less common. Uh, I guess if you've gone public, cause there's just like, you've gone public and you have to go back out there and say, Oh, well now I'm gonna change my mind. But if you've done, only done it silently, then like no one even knows that you were committed. So it's much, much easier process for them to, to deal with. You don't have the public headache and people giving you crap for it on social media and all that kind of stuff, which you know, let's be real. You know, people do care about. So yeah, I think Bowers and Monin are the two. Certainly I agree with you. That would be um, the two that I'd be watching most closely for the next couple of weeks. Um, all right. Uh, we got just two more questions here and there are, and they're both related. So we're going to get out of here on this one. Uh, and I guess this is Georgia related. So we're going to throw it in there. And this happened actually at the beginning of the month, but this uh, is the mail is the ending of the main mailbag. And I know it's June now, but we want to do the, the recruiting specific mailbag this time around. So I know this happened a couple of weeks ago, but this was sent in in May. So we included in this mailbag. This is from Alexander. Uh, Alexander says the Zach Evans saga is finally over. Nobody saw TCU coming. He went from considering Texas schools to Bama being the leader to sending his letter of intent to Georgia, then to considering Tennessee, Ole Miss, and UF, uh, only to end up at TCU. And you're, that's a great uh, breakdown of that process with Zach Evans. I mean, it was a whirlwind. He asked, can you guys remember a crazier recruitment? Kurt, is there any process that comes to mind that's anywhere close to the process we saw, the saga play out that we saw with Zach Evans? Um, not from start to finish. And, and, um, I mean, you've seen a lot of guys that, I mean, Roquan was a, a interesting yeah, process, but since he didn't sign. Like, with like uh, an hour here, like, oh wait, he might not actually want to go there. Yeah. Okay. D Rob was like that. Um, Ruben Foster, Ruben Foster. Foster's a big one. Um, I think of Derek Rogers back in the day, people like that, oh, but really never yeah. anything to the saga that Zach Evans was where, He's literally all in on this school. Then this happens and this happened. I mean, it, it, it like, especially with Roquan, like you knew it, it was probably Georgia. Once he didn't sign and all that stuff happened, you knew he wasn't going to Georgia. But that wasn't the case with Evans. You had Tennessee confident. Then Florida was confident. And then out of nowhere, it's TCU. And A&M it's, it's, for a while was actually confident. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean that, that was the thing with Zach Evans. It's like it was so many different schools that felt so confident at various times throughout the whole process. And I've never seen anything quite like that. I really haven't, especially a guy like God, and just how it played, like, it, it, how it went down at the All Star, the uh, All American game, where he's almost like almost in tears, and the and we and like and also what made it crazy is like none of us really knew exactly what was going on behind the scenes. We just knew it was crazy, and we all we all had our ideas, but it was so there was so much speculation as to what was going on. Was it because did we tell him, hey, you, we're moving on from you? because of what happened at, uh, right before the state championship game with your coach and being suspended and you being insubordinate. Were we tired of the hangers on? Were they a- 
asking for too much or whatever it might have been? Or did you just decide, you know what, no, I want to stay closer to home? Is there something with the family? Like we just there's so much speculation we just didn't know. And it went from from one team to another to another to another. It was insane. I have truly never seen anything like that uh, on the recruiting front. And I followed this for um, all my adult life. I've never seen anything like it. Ruben Foster is one that came to mind for me immediately as the closest to it, but that was really like three schools. Like we were in it there for a while, but then really came down to Auburn, Alabama. The reason I throw Ruben Foster out there is like I've still never seen anyone get a tattoo of one school and then end up at another school and then keep that tattoo on his arm while he's at the other school. Like that to me, I just, I've never been able to get over that. That's just insane to me. Um, but Zach Evans, in terms of just how this played out, I've never seen anything like it. I, I can't. Derek Rogers is a good one though, Kurt. That's a, that's a good one to pull out. That was from years ago, but yeah, I definitely remember that one. If you guys remember Derek Rogers, a wide receiver from Calhoun who ended up going to Tennessee and uh, man, that was just a nightmare. Uh, that whole process. Uh, Laramie Tunsil. Can we throw that one in there? Yeah, you could. But that was just a that was the way that one ended. It was like a whirlwind for like three days, but it wasn't like the entire process, like Zach Evans was. It still didn't really compare. Uh, all right, and so the final question here, also Zach Evans. Uh, this is from Scott. Scott asked TCU for Zach Evans. Why TCU? Do you have an answer for that one, Kurt? I think everyone was just tired of him and saw the question, you know, saw the problems and the uh, warning signs that are there, um, but. And I mean, and they're a school that can take a chance on it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, Herman Herman's a little bit on the hot seat at Texas, so he he doesn't have the capital to take on that that situation. Yeah, TCU has a chance. Like they can they can take a chance on a guy like that because like look, if it doesn't work out, then you just move on. From that was my argument with us. It's like, look, if it doesn't work out, then you can you can move on. And Gary Patterson has so much capital built up there. If it doesn't work out, you move on and you're you're fine. But it, but if it works out for a program like TCU, then then you just hit a home run, and that could be a game changer for you in the Big Twelve. And and what I will say also, I will throw this out there: Zach Evans himself, what he said, and I, who knows how true this is, but I, I would like to be able to take the guy at his word that there were some family issues behind the scenes that made him want to stay closer to home, and that could be true. That could be true. And again, I want to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, but. If that's the case, then why TCU? Why not Texas, like you mentioned? Why not Texas A&M? And the answer is because those schools would not take him, right? I mean, they with the way this all played out and all the baggage that he carried with him, they just it was not worth it for them. By the time he made his decision, they were they'd already taken other guys and were full at the running back spot and just weren't ready, ready to take a flyer on him. Tom Herman, you mentioned, is kind of on the hot seat ish going into this year. And uh, just isn't really in a position to do that. So TCU, I guess, was the next best alternative for him to be able to play in a, 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 at a Power Five program. So I wish the best look of the guy. I truly, I truly wish him the absolute best. I'm not one of those guys that's going to hate on him because of how it went down with us. I uh, and we don't really like a lot of us. We think we know. Even now, we think we know, but we don't really know exactly what was going on. I, I have some ideas based on some people that um, kind of know a lot more about his recruitment behind the scenes than than I did. But still, like you just personally, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And in this day and age of what's going on in our world right now, I don't know why we would wish ill on anyone. So I wish him the best, but um, I'm, I will say I'm glad it's over. I'm glad I don't have to hear about Zach Evans and Georgia ever again, at least not for a long time. But um, all right, guys, that does it for us today with our first ever recruiting specific mailbag. We really had fun doing this. We know a lot of you were looking for some more recruiting based content. We got a lot of feedback on that front and some positive feedback on the recruiting shows we have done during this whole lockdown quarantine situation. So 
We hope you guys enjoyed it, and if you would like even more of it, please just uh, reach out to us on social media at glory underscore UGA. You can also email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. Let us know, and uh, we will make sure to uh, try to produce some more recruiting-based content for you guys. This show is for you, and we want to make sure we're producing stuff that you guys want to consume. So thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for supporting. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs. <laughs>